That was the best. <laughs> this is how you do engineer. You're partially drenched. Graciously professional engineering podcast. I'm your beer-drenched host, Peter Martin. I'm a host, Abby Desjardins. I'm a host, Simon Whitmell. I don't, I'm not a guest. You're kind of like a pseudo I'm, host. You're a guest I'm like host. A pseudo guest, guest host. host. A guest Safwan. host. Chaudhry. Yep, Safwan's back. I, by popular demand. And by mm-hmm. popular demand, it was, we asked him to be back. <laughs> and he had nothing else to do. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> at all. Yeah, you're not at all busy with, like, crazy life things. No, no. Everything's good. <laughs> I'm less busy than Peter, who is now running around this just room Just covered in beer. For, he's just covered in beer. <laughs> that, like, ah! moment was fantastic. <laughs> I really hope that, like, we can make that into a soundbite. Maybe we can kind of explain what happened, if it's not clear, to people who cannot see us right now. Like, yeah. all the people listening to this podcast that you're recording? Yeah. <laughs> did, did, I think they heard the burbling. The burbling of it overflowing onto his hand. Yeah, so we do that live every time. And this time it didn't go so well. I'm surprised it's the first time that's gone that badly. Yeah. Oh, he's back. Pete's all, right. all sticky now. Let's do this. Guess who's Don't back? Don't clap into the microphone. Back again. All right, cool. Good to go. All right. Only slightly damp. Okay. Right. It's okay. As if that wasn't ridiculous enough. Uh, we're going to engineer a robot. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Let's yeah. do it. And it's going to be a uh, first robot. We're going to call forward to things we're going to talk about later and mm-hmm. talk about a first Ooh, robot. Foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a um, book. So a wait, 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 which challenge was it? I, I'm not familiar with like the last five first challenges. I believe the challenge that I thought would be appropriate was called Rebound Rumble. Okay. It was from two years ago. I think it's more than two. I started two, so three There was years Rebound ago. Rumble, and then there was the Frisbee one, and then there was the stacking one, mm-hmm. and then there was this one. So it was three Wait, years this one ago. hasn't happened yet. There, Stacking there will be this recent. one. Yeah. Stacking was right. this past year. So it was almost three four years ago. Three years ago. Years ago. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the challenge, and this was a first robotics challenge, which we'll also talk about, all the foreshadowing. Yeah, we're, we're not going to tell anyone anything until later. The challenge was to create a robot, essentially that would throw baskets into basketball hoops at different heights. Throw, you don't throw, throw basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. rip down the basket and throw it into the hoop. It, it was a new type of challenge. Play basketball right. with baskets. So it was a basketball playing robot. It was a basketball playing robot at, at, at its core. Okay. There were other elements like a teeter-totter, but at its core, it was throwing baskets. There's always yeah. like something ridiculous. It's like your robot can either do the challenge or it can like climb a tree. <laughs> right. That is actually Make very pancakes. true. <laughs> the difference was though, I think they had different, I, like, I wasn't aware of the challenge entirely, but I think there was different like levels for the hoops and stuff. Yeah. As there well. were, there were three different heights. Oh, right. so you had to be like, be able to do arcs of different yeah. heights. And they had like mm. retroreflective tape behind them so you could find them and identify them autonomously and all that sort of good jazz. Cool. Um, but yeah, basically let's just essentially. Let's do that. Let's pretend that you need a robot that can drive around and shoot baskets. Let's just, let's go from there. Let's we just, need it. We need a robot that. that can dominate on the court. Yeah. Yes. It can yeah. shoot some b-ball outside of the school. Let's say that we have been hired by some sort of promo team and we're going to have a mascot dressed robot that shoots baskets at halftime. That would be awesome. That would be really cool. Let's hey, start with four hey, wheels. basketball teams. And me as an authority four. on sport. Ooh, can we have those cool, the cool yeah. wheels, the Omni wheels, Omni the wheels. ones that are like diagonal? Yeah. And what are better than Omni wheels? Mechanum wheels. I don't, what are those? What are those? Those are Omni wheels, but better. 
Hence the name, better than Omni wheels. <laughs> that was a really good description, wheels. Pete. Okay, Mechanum wheels are basically they're like Omni wheels, but Omni wheels can move forward, back, side, side. Um, Mechanum wheels, the roller part is diagonal, and so they let your robot move in every direction by turning on the oppositely diagonal sides. It's oh, really hard to explain. I think that's what I'm thinking mm. of when I think of Omni wheels. I will put it in the show notes. They're like, they're, 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 they're wheels. And then the wheels have smaller wheels around the outside of them that are like right. at right angles to the first wheel. Those right? are Omni wheels. Mechanum wheels, the yeah, diagonal. These are, yeah, these are off diagonal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I have seen those. Yeah. Anyway, point is cool wheels let you do so way cooler those. things. We need some of that. Need some Mechanum wheels. I wish there were Omni wheels on more things. Can we do along the lines of our 2D, 2D boxcar designs we've been genetically algorithming and, uh, just like add seven wheels? Can we have seven wheels, guys? Can we have a baby wheel on top that doesn't do anything? (laughs) (laughs) A vestigial wheel. Genetics. Yeah, for all the listeners who have been playing boxcar 2D, like, on, like, non-stop since Paul talked it's about it. It's always open in my browser. I know. I know. It's just always open. It's probably eaten up a significant chunk of our, like, company processing power over the last few weeks. You just can't look away. Like, mm-hmm. it's just... It turns out the electricity bill this month is going to be, like, extremely high because <laughs> these machines are, like, crunching away these genetic algorithms overnight. <laughs> yeah. It actually drained my battery today in our meeting. Oh. Because I had it running in, like, yeah, a you know you have a problem, the background. Man. Yeah. But we're doing good engineering work. We're, we're developing robots of the future. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we're very divergent. Right. So, robot that shoots baskets. Yeah, Gotta basket. have mechanum wheels. How are we gonna throw Why not feet? How do you throw? Why can't the robot dunk? See, okay, so <laughs> somebody who has now gone through the experience of dealing with any kind of locomotion that is not based on four wheels, it's hard to have feet. So, so hard. You gotta worry about gait and stabilization. Maybe you're just not very good at it. It's hard to have feet on robots, right? On not robots, like in yeah, real no. life. Okay. No, humans, humans, you're okay. It's I feet on <laughs> robots is the problem. Okay. Okay. Having feet's hard, guys. I'm gonna it cut my feet off because it's just so hard to have if feet. If you could cut your feet off and have wheels, you'd be a lot more stable. Actually, I mean, no. Oh my god, I You need I'd at least die. three wheels, though. We discussed this the other week, though. I'd cut my feet off and replace them with blades. Like the blade feet. This is a pretty violent podcast, don't you? I know. Mm-hmm. We're talking about killing people and we need yeah. to tone it down. Anyways, guys, guys. No, I think high I think, school. I think what Abby was what Abby was talking TV. about was if we had a robot with wheels, then it also had a set of feet to let it like jump. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Is nobody worried about like landing right side up? Like that's no. kind of. Have you guys seen like the grasshopper robot that oh, we always Boston talk Dynamics. about? We yes. always talk about Boston Dynamic. Yeah. But the, the grasshopper robot that can jump on the buildings. Yes. Yeah, it's like, like twenty. It's got foot. wheels and it goes like. Ba-thoing. Yeah. Yeah. So we do that, except for it goes pathoing while holding a basketball and then does a sweet dunk. Do you yeah. know how much and DARPA money is in that the robot? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the Patoing, if I've learned anything from first robotics, it has to be powered by snowmobile springs because that's what everyone uses. It's all snowmobile? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. No, it's... <laughs> It's just one team. Oh, is this is like an inside joke that yeah. nobody but you two gets. Well, Sorry. I mean, garage door springs are great too, but I've learned they're also very dangerous. Actually, we're going to talk about it later, but I'm kind of amazed at like what kind of everyday items people like reverse engineer, pull out parts from, and stick them in a first robot. It's, uh, I mean, it's quite fascinating. Everybody just shops at Princess Auto, so what are you going to do? You just <laughs> only have so much selection. They're all, all the same, like, shocks and stuff they bought up. Whatever was on sale at Princess Auto. Hockey sticks are everywhere. All the Canadian teams use hockey sticks for all the things. Represent. They're pretty handy. Like, you can do a lot of stuff with hockey sticks. Yeah, it's cheap carbon fiber. Like, where else can you find that? All right, that so we use the hockey sticks as the arms that grip the basketball and hold it over the head. Mm-hmm. And then it jumps, and it dunks, and then the hockey sticks hook over the net. And a little hammer comes out and smashes the back glass above it because that's how you do the best dunks. Yep. 
Like, oh my god. I'm thinking about the actual robots that accomplished this. And I'm like, this is so much better with a high school education. Four people with like at least undergrad degrees are not able to come up with a better. It also needs to have an outrageous number of fake tattoos all over its chassis. <laughs> Just like weird like spray paint and like tribal patterns all down yeah. the side of the robot. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Oh, That's all right. necessary. So we got, we have to, it, the robot has, has omni wheels, but then once it lines up with the basket, it uses some like spring loaded feet to jump pneumatics. up and dunk. Pneumatics all the way. All right. I like it. Oh, pneumatics? Was, no, no not pneumatics. Like, pneumatics are too slow. Yeah. Yeah. I like what springs. Well, you could, you could, you could do it with pneumatics if you had like a big, a big tank, like that's, a big pressure yeah, tank. Yeah, that's the problem. They restrict the, the tank size of your reservoir. But yeah, theoretically, if you have a giant tank, just give her. It'll work. Get one of those like the big fiberglass, the, the, the new propane tanks that are made out of fiberglass. They're like way lighter. Oh, you, really? can, you could, you can charge them to like a crazy pressure. Can they boost a hundred pound robot into the air to dunk? I don't know. I think if that didn't work, that would be the least of our problems oh, to try to make this robot. Details. We'll figure the rest out. What if we just did it with an air cannon? Like it just shoots air out of the bottom and just like rockets itself into the air. <laughs> Why not just rockets? Or fire. Yes. All the fire. That'd be Actually, so showy. I, when I was an undergrad, I did a project once where we used vinegar and baking soda as some sort of like ballistic propellant. You could just take a big container full of vinegar and baking soda. Like and a that, fourth grade science project. Yeah. But we were in second year. The problem with that is once you get into actual pressure vessels, if you got something that creates new gas, you've basically built yourself a pipe bomb. Oh, and they, put it I, into I it. know. Because when we did this project, one of our receptacles or vessels um, catastrophically exploded. And it took, I think, on the order of five or six seconds for it to hit the ground. That sounds safe. It, okay, so we're going to talk about first robotics later, and we just have to say that safety is a priority for yeah. first robotics. Sure we do not dangerous. anyone doing anything like this ever. You wouldn't be able to build this robot in first. No. no. All right, so let's step back from first now that we've talked about them extensively and talk about what we're actually going to talk about. Are we going to do that second? Oh. Um, talk about first, second. Terrible. <laughs> All right. So the topic today, which we are just chatting about rather than interviewing, is uh, inspiring the next generation of STEM workers, I guess, STEM innovators. Enthusiasts. Um, but first, before that, um, it occurred to me the last time we did an episode like this, we didn't explain the format of our episodes. And I wanted to sort of do a little sidebar where okay. we share with the audience. Approach the bench. Our ideas for how to make better podcast episodes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So most of the episodes we've been doing so far have been interview episodes, which we're calling How Do You Blank Episodes. But we also have ideas for other types of episodes where we just talk. And we've so far been calling those What Is Blank Episodes. But we may break that convention with this one. We'll have to see how that goes. I think we should do Who. Who Who, who yeah. are the engineers of the future? Who's is pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have other ideas for fun times, like perhaps going on site and wandering around engineering firms and saying... Where is engineering? Where is engineering done? Where do you engineer? And there was another one I forget. But basically, things like Um, that. When? Why? (laughs) Why engineer? It's getting philosophical. When is good, too. What is? Because what is was going to be bringing people back to explain terms and things. Right. I think we could also do who, if we want to do like something historical. Like, who did this crazy engineering? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you like the sounds of any of these things, let us know. If you want to learn more about Laplace... This is the place to come. Oh, the, the I'd guy. Love to meet I'd like to learn about Laplace, the guy. The less I hear about his transforms ever again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. 
Okay. Anyway, that's the idea, and this isn't going to be an example of a divergent, weird episode where we just ramble with some sense of cohesion mm-hmm. towards a concept that we want to explain. Yep. With a guest host. With a guest host this time. Sometimes not. I think it should just be called a resident host. Ooh, Ooh. An adjunct host. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that entitle me to get some paid compensation? No. Well, you got uh, a you got a beer, didn't you? He bought it. That's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> because he's a host. Actually, that sounds like being an adjunct. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> this is perfect. Guys. You buy the beer, and they give you a job. <laughs> and if you're lucky, it explodes on me. <laughs> oh, okay. You guys should just play like roulette every time. Just shake one beer, but don't like tell. <laughs> oh, Except for then we have to do every like the beginning of this episode where we have to make small talk while one of us goes and like towels down. You're exposing secrets, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is a, I'm going to call this who, who are the engineers of the future yep. and how do we get those people to want to be engineers of the future? Yeah. As a byline, it'd be more along the lines of how do you promote STEM to high school and elementary school students? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're, we, we want to look at how you can get people excited gets young people excited about STEM, but from the point of view of like doing cool stuff as opposed to the point of view of getting a job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think all too much our, our motivation, uh, like we talked to Dom and he was like, I went to engineering because it would get me a job. And, and, and as much as that is a perfectly reasonable reason to be in engineering, it's not necessarily the mentality that we want to instill in the students of the future. Mm-hmm. And I think also, uh, sort of to follow along with that, something I see a lot that, can really go a little bit hand in hand with this is a lot of high school students, especially going into engineering, not knowing anything about what it's about. And that isn't really motivating them to do it or not do it, but that's more making sure that they're committed and stay in it because they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of an additional little item that's uh, nice to have. Yeah. It'd be nice if students came out of like high school with a better idea of what engineering is than we have now being engineered and still not knowing as we uh, demonstrated with our other episode. Yeah. If there's one unifying thing that we've found so far, it's that people come into engineering in weird ways because they don't really know what it is. And also from all the people I've talked to, another commonality is people go into engineering out of high school, not having any idea what they're going to be doing. Yeah. It'd yeah. be, it'd be good if people came out of high school going, like if students came out of high school, wanted to get into engineering because they had a really good idea of this is the kind of problem I'd like to solve. Yeah. yeah. Like this is how I'd like to change the world. And that that actually happened, science. which is our problem. Making sure that students coming in from high school actually get to do interesting life-changing things in university. That's sort of what Yeah, which I think we'll have to have another a different episode about how we can make that yeah. transition work better from the university side. Yeah. But yeah. So what prompted this episode was last weekend, uh well, Safwan, Pete, and I were judges or judge advisors. Yay! At Yay. the uh, at the first Lego League competition, uh, it was a qualifying competition, so we got to see a bunch of teams that were fresh out of the gate. Um, yeah. Students, I think they ranged from grade four to grade eight. Yep, mm-hmm. something around there. Yeah, and they were solving problems with. Well, part of it is solving problems with Lego, so building a Lego robot to accomplish missions. Mm-hmm. And it's also, but then there's also a section of the competition that is the project where they have to solve a real world problem using engineering in general, not Lego specifically, right? Yeah. And those problems are normally tied to a theme that's also part of the challenge. So this year, the challenge was trash disposal. And so the, what they had to sort of solve with their Lego robots was trash themed, but then also the project they had to develop was trash themed. Um, so there's a, there's a general overarching 
idea and theme to every year. And it's normally something that's a problem in the real world that engineers are addressing. So last year it was energy. No, sorry. Last year was education. And that's a, that's actually a really cool thing. I think when you're in grade four to eight and you kind of learn about these issues that, I mean, in a weird adjacent way, right. But you're learning about kind of, okay, what does it actually take to, you know, recycle trash? Like what are the problems that you face? And the missions are kind of architected towards helping kids understand like, okay, you have some trash. Uh, this is what would give you X amount of points, or this is what would, you know, be detrimental for your mission. And how do you actually solve these problems by building a robot and programming a robot for the missions? And it's actually, it's pretty cool. Like the one I thought was really cool was they had the demolition and the demolition, they were knocking down a building in air quotes that was built out of different colored blocks and the, uh, the different colored blocks were different types of materials. And they had like a yellow, yellow stuff was recyclable. Blue was recyclable, but black wasn't. So then they had to like take it to a sorting facility cool. and like sort it through. Yeah. Before we jump into what is like first Lego league, what is, what is first? Like what is all this a part of? Ooh. For inspiration and recognition in science and technology. Nicely done. That was good. Yeah. We, and we, what we, are the four parts of first? Oh, pop quiz. Cooperation was one of them. No, no, no. There, there's like four different sectors to the first part. Oh, there's oh, uh, I you were talking junior, about like the four. Like, okay, I, th- I actually know this. Junior FLL, which is Junior First Lego League. Um, first Lego League, that's a competition that we were at last weekend. And then there's first technical challenge, FTC. And I'm not entirely sure how that fits in, to be honest. And then there's um, the most popular one is first robotics competition, so FRC. Yeah. FTC, I believe, is a substitute for FRC for schools that either don't have a qualifier near them or don't have the same support that they need to be able to do a full FRC team. Right. So it's it's equivalent to kind of a crossover between FLL and FRC where the age groups are somewhere around, if I'm not mistaken, grade 7 to grade 12. But mm-hmm. all of this is online. If we got it wrong, go look online and they will not get it wrong. Yeah, the website is usfirst.org. No, I think they changed their website. And I'm wrong. <laughs> all this will be in our magical show notes. Yeah, we'll put the first link in the show notes. So anyway, the the actual competition we were at was students building cool stuff with Lego. Yep. And I think that's that, that touches on, I mean, we name drop Dean Kamen first a lot, but I think that's one of the things that we that is really cool in terms of getting kids excited about engineering in general is uh, educational toys that are that really get you closer to how real world engineering works yeah absolutely i mean like lego is awesome in and of itself but the lego mindstorms platform and some of the stuff you can do with it gets you like they were doing these students at the competition were doing stuff that i didn't see until second year university exactly there, there, there was a project that some students were working on here that was very similar to what i did in grad school in terms of the algorithms they were using and that's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, these kids are in grade four to grade eight. And like, I mean, when I was young, I played with Lego too, and I, I love Lego in every way possible. But the Mindstorms platform in general and what the first, like, first Lego League program provides is getting these kids to see Lego in a way that it, like, it really comes to life. And I think that has a profound impact on kids at such a young age as well. I mean, Abby, you worked for a while in a place where that specialized in educational toys. Yes, I did. Um... What sort of, any... what sort of cool stuff yeah. was there? I haven't, I haven't been in, what in else is there one of those Lego? stores in like forever. Um, educational stuff. They had snap circuits. I liked those a lot. Okay. Have what's the snap them? circuit? They're, um, essentially like circuit building toys, um, where you just had different components that could just snap into a board 
um, that connected the wires in such a way that the kids didn't have to like play with wires. So you could just oh, okay. snap a wire piece oh, I've seen that. next look, to a battery like a, piece next to a They look like little piece. buttons, right? The little, like, like the kind of snaps you'd have on, like on a shirt almost. Kind of. Yeah. They also just kind of snapped into a board. I always tried to sold that, tried to sell that one cause I was pro electrical things. <laughs> electrical engineering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I, I think I remember seeing those, and they get you into, like, the circuit design without having to do all the really annoying parts of, like, breadboarding, where you have yeah. to cut all the little bits of wire and yeah, stuff. Yeah, everything just easily fit together into a board. It was very nice. I don't know if they have the they have these at uh, Mindstorms, but I've seen around these little uh, kits that you can get where you can draw circuit diagrams with a special, like, graphite or copper oh, and they work? pen and they, a, work? Yeah, yeah. The, the they probably ink. do now those are pretty sweet that's really yeah. cool yeah it's it, it was it was uh mastermind where you were mastermind is where i worked yeah sorry yeah mindstorms is, mindstorms is not a store yeah. no i know all of these things I, I don't know where i think is mastermind a canadian it is a canadian thing? company yeah. okay yeah. so yeah uh, outside of canada this is a store that sells yeah. specifically educational stuff yeah this or is science. mostly ontario actually <laughs> this oh, mastermind really? yeah wow man it should be more places though we need more like stores like this it's expanding i think when i worked there it was 11 stores and now it's like 30 something oh wow yeah oh my god i thought it was like hundreds of stores i see them all yeah over the place. I thought so too. oh it's very gta heavy. We live a wow. small, close greater life. toronto area heavy wow all right anything else that you remember when you were working there that you thought was like particularly cool like it, it i guess it's it, the sort of thing where you look at it now and you're like man i wish we had had that because that's how i feel about mindstorms is i wish i was like man i wish they'd had the EV3 when I was that yeah. age, because I would have I would have gone nuts with that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, but yeah, there's, you a totally of, there's a lot I of was blanking on things, weird <laughs> things out there. Like um, my wife Allie's in educational grad school, and they have people come in to just show off cool educational toys. Oh, there was a show that I saw. It was like it was a YTV show, and it was like toy yes. testers. YTV. Yeah, I want. I want <laughs> like I was watching like one episode of that, and I was like, that's just such a good idea. Just actually just throw it in a room with some kids and see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. That's like every kid's dream. Oh, yeah, it totally is. But I mean, it's the, I think those kinds of toys, but specifically, like, there's, I guess there's two classes of educational toys. There's the, like, edutainment type. I don't know. The It seems kind of old school concept of, of educational toys mm-hmm. that are, I think they lean too far towards educational and not enough towards toys. Like chemistry sets? Uh, maybe. Or, I mean, like... I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, like, Meccano was my favorite when I was a kid. I yeah. was all about Meccano. I had all the sets. I went to robot camp where we built Meccano robots. Like, yeah, but I would say, I would say <laughs> I that's the on the right side. coolest kid in school. That's, that's on the right side of the line, though. It's like, you've got, you've got stuff that allows, like, creative design. And then you've got stuff where you're like, it's a book that has. Like, follow steps oh, one, two, yeah, three. Yeah, it's like, it's like, right? it's basically a lab manual. Or Sounds like, like university. Yeah, no, I, but, and there's certainly, <laughs> like, there are those out there where it's like, it's yeah. like the big book of chemistry, but then you get open it up and it's like, here's how to do this, like, thing step by step by step. And yeah, it doesn't feel like. Generally, the, the things like, you know, FLL or the Mindstorms platform in general, it's so open ended. Like, you could build any kind of structure that works with that EV3, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. FLL can come out with these cool little, um, context where the kids can solve problems and then next year they'll use the same platform, but they'll solve a completely different challenge. And I think that kind of open-ended nature is what allows kids to become really creative, but still having the power to do something to, you know, bring it to life and stuff. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that might be key to making, getting kids excited specifically about like, especially the engineering side of STEM is accentuating the creative part of engineering where you're going to come yeah. up with a new solution, something unique. I think, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think these things are popular because they're, they're very play focused as opposed to learning focus. 
So you're just kind of like, I'm making cool things move. And you're not really thinking about like, oh, I'm actually doing science. Yeah. Yeah. The number of kids that came out of that competition last weekend, knowing like what a gyroscope was and what a gyro sensor did, even though like, I don't, I, I think they, most of the code that they used in the robot, they got from snippets online, but they were seeing, okay, this is a box that tells me if my robots rotating. Like that was just understanding that concept intuitively is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of what this does, which is, I think part of the, the takeaway for me that a lot of these kits do, a lot of these programs do is to give students and children in those age groups, the benefit of the doubt in terms of what they're capable of. Yeah. Because that's really what first does. And really to me, what FLL does is it gives a bunch of students a problem. Like this year, we want you to figure out a way to better dispose of garbage around the world. And that's all they give them. They're just like, figure something out. That's fun. And the, some of the teams will do something weird and something very simple, like a science fair style high school thing. But a lot of the students will come back with this crazy design that no one would ever have guessed came out of an FLL team of kids under the age of 13 or whatever. And, uh, what they're doing now is emphasizing that point by starting a program that rewards innovation in these FLL teams by taking the best projects they come up with every year and actually working with them to create prototypes and products of these ideas they've had. Mm, concept incubation. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. cool. And, and, and the most awesome part is like no problem is too big. They figure out a way to leave it. So like, think about it. You go to like a grade four kid and you say, you know what? How would you recycle trash in the world? And you know what? You're going to build some robots and use gyroscopes. Like you can go to a university student in fourth year and say that and they'd be like dumbfounded. Mm. And even with first and my exposure to first so far has been like, there's a lot of problems that they come out with and it's like, okay, I've gone to school. I have two degrees in engineering. I've worked for three years and I have no idea how I would do this. Like, it's kind of fascinating that they don't like say, you know what? These kids can handle this level. It's just, they just give them a pretty challenging problem and it's pretty amazing what the kids come up with. Absolutely. And even beyond the robot building, the things these students are able to accomplish in the sort of alternative elements of the challenge that involve things like promotion and international recruitment and um, outreach and all this, they're basically running a business. They have people doing finance, people doing promotions, people doing marketing and, um, going out and finding sponsors and all of the things you need to run a successful business, um, strategies for long-term development and for recruitment. They do all of those things really well, better than a lot of companies to a certain extent might do. And when I was, uh, judging one year and in charge of one of the biggest awards you can get at a competition, which was the chairman's award, they would come and basically explain why they're a fantastic team. And some of the things these teams are doing are just outrageous. Like they have links to other teams in seven different countries and they've sponsored 30 other FLL teams and five other FRC teams, which then themselves have sponsored another five grandchildren FRC teams. And like they have links to politics with relationships with the mayor and with the premier and they've gone on TV and they have like, a million followers on Facebook. Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think that comes down to the whole thing. The eye is inspire. And I think there that yeah. does it really well. It says, here's an inspiration. Here's a reason to do this. Here's a reason to look for a solution and then go. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's amazing, especially I found really interesting with the, uh, with the young kids because, um, they, I don't want to sound too jaded, but like they haven't had the creativity beat out of them by like, <laughs> no, it's true. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, absolutely. Like they'll, they'll come up with a really cool solutions or like I was reading a while, not too long ago about a kid 
who, uh, as a project, he, he did some research and he discovered that like the government has uses huge amounts of paper for, uh, for documents and whatnot. And so he, uh, I think he, he piloted a program where he basically changed, had them change the default setting for all their documents to make the font just slightly smaller. It was like one or two points smaller. And he did the calculations. He's like, this will save the government something like $5 billion a year in paper and ink. <laughs> and it was, but it came down to that like very simple idea that nobody had thought, Hey, maybe we should make font smaller. <laughs> yeah. The, the famous example that they use for FLL teams, at least here in Canada is the classy cyborgs that went to worlds last year from uh, actually the qualifier that we judged. Mm. And what they did was develop a strategy for teaching people who are visually impaired how to use Braille. But then wow. they realized that the basically the appeal of that product in and of itself was pretty limited because you could only really appeal to people who are learning Braille. And so they made a generic version of their strategy that was just – it was something like teaching strategies. Like, it was like an generic, educational framework. Exactly. And then they were able to promote that, and they've got a patent and all sorts. Like, it's it's crazy. Like they Grace 4 to 8, by the way, just yeah. to put this into context. How many, how many like, 12-year-olds you know have a patent? They could basically start a company at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's it, that has got to be a big thing for anything that's going to inspire kids to do uh, – to get into this kind of field is uh, giving them inspiration and then not telling them that there are limits. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because most of the limits that exist on the solutions we have right now are self-imposed. It's and the first thing we're going to thought to. Sorry, I'm very excited. Yeah, no, I <laughs> it's it, it's it's an exciting idea because I mean you can you see some of the stuff they're doing and it is it's so inspirational for me watching watching these kids do engineering and think man these guys are coming up with such great ideas. Yeah, and the first thing they see when they get to university is what isn't possible. The first thing they're going to encounter is these are what you need to know. This is what you don't know. And so you can't do it. This is the limitation on this strategy. Although it's not I, been used for this. Don't use it for that. I still think the, I still think the problem happens before university. It, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, you're very correct. I mean, a lot of it is the problem in a lot of cases is like an omission. It's the kids who are in, who get involved with first or get involved with programs like that. I mean, not, not to say that first is the only pro, uh, program that does this kind of thing, but it's the one that we know best, but yeah. there are a lot of kids who just never have access to that kind of a program. And so are never, never have that inspiration. They don't have that moment unless they stumble across a teacher who really like really gets them excited about solving real world problems. They're never going to have that kind of opportunity to say, Hey, I could, I could come up with the next big idea. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, I've been involved a lot with both, both citywide science fairs and national science fairs. And what they do well is it's sort of a a catch 22. They open up the realm of possibility for what you can do with these challenges. So they basically say, come up with an interesting problem and solve it and do it scientifically which is super open-ended. Mm-hmm. What FLL and FRC do really well is they basically give you a very well-defined problem and set limits to a certain extent on what your, the focus of your problem-solving should be. And that, to a certain extent, lets the creativity channel in a direction that's successful. But at the same time, it is somewhat limited. So when I've judged national science fairs, you get insane results like students who've worked with university professors and developed cancer treatments and kids who have developed third um filtering systems for removing e coli from water in third world countries that cost three dollars and like all of these world changing crazy projects that have patents and multiple journal papers and all this sort of stuff because they have no limit but they need to have a significant amount of funding and support from university profs and from industry 
to be able to build these sorts of things. And because they can go in any direction, a lot of them just end up floundering because they're like, I'm going to build a bomb detection robot. And they end up building a piece of Lego that drives around on a table. And I'm like, this is nothing to do with bomb detection. Also, I think the really important distinction to make is being that person who's, you know, in grades, let's say four to eight, because this is what we're talking about right now, to be at the level where you are aware of science, you know, national science competitions and you have parents who are aware of national science competitions and you generally are going to go out there and compete in that kind of stuff. Like I, I was never that kid, but I think what really is amazing is the way that FLL and first in general is so accessible. Like it's just, it's in your school. It's there. It, this is such a confined kind of, you know, problem set that you can get involved with. It's, you know, you don't have to be the person who's like, I'm going to solve the next greatest problem in the world, but it'll give you more or less the exposure into what STEM is. And it's, it makes it so easy to access that, that I think definitely it has the potential. Like I would definitely be involved with FLL or FRC mm-hmm. if I had that in my school at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I think that's, I guess it's the, the first, first in programs like it or the, or the national science fairs and that's kind of step two. You got step one. Well, I guess step three. It's because you got step one is getting kids originally interested in science and teaching them. Like for me, there was like Bill Nye, the science guy. I watched watched him on TV and I was like, man, science is awesome. Science rules. Exactly. And I mean, so that's, that's step one is getting, getting the idea into kids heads that science is a thing that you can use to like explain amazing things and do amazing things. Mm -hmm. And then you give them an opportunity to do that kind of do some amazing things with science. There's a great epic rap battle with Bill Nye, by the way. I think I've I've seen seen that one. It's It's, we'll, we'll link to that as well. Is he still around? I'm just kidding. Bill Nye. Yeah. He's he's, he's huge into uh, climate change. Yeah. He's mostly out there debating Mm -hmm. people who don't like facts. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) I think that's something that we're, we're willing to condone as a podcast. Is the belief that Bill Nye knows right? No, well, that that and climate change is a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, there are var- various different things that he champions, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, he's yeah, he's he's out there spreading the good word about science. Yeah. So you said step one is is getting kids interested in science. Yeah, getting getting putting the the idea in their head that science and engineering are things and and math are things that are cool and you can do cool things with them. Mm-hmm. And then, and then giving them an opportunity to apply those things so using something like first or science, yeah. uh, science fairs, um, or even just like, I mean, you can, this could be built into education as well. It's just a matter of having hands-on creative tasks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So why aren't students getting into science engineering? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, that's a very loaded question. It depends on where they are and what they're like. You can't sort of sit. This becomes very complicated for me because I understand the reasons why promoting engineering and STEM. By the way, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. We should yeah, have said that we before. We should have started yeah. with yeah. that. Um, at a high school and elementary school level is important. I understand that. I'm an engineer. I do work in education. This is something that I think is beneficial. But we're at a certain point, we're going to get to a level where there are lots of people doing science, engineering, and technology. And where that point comes and where, like, I don't want it to become sort of the same kind of thing where you think of going to university and parents generally, I might paraphrase and be facetious here, but generally push students towards going to university increasingly and have been, I guess, I think for a little while. I I don't want it to get, I don't want to get to the point where it's sort of like, you should go do science engineering because that's where important things are done. Mm. No, I, I, I think what we're, what we're, or what I'm advocating at least is, 
getting kids excited about the idea of using science and math in an applied manner to solve real world problems. Exactly. And, and if they, it's and, co- yeah. college or university or, you know, whatever, even if you don't yeah. go to either and you just kind of are still in, you know, excited about that and you kind of solve problems in that space. I think that's mm-hmm. well. And again, okay. It's, we're going to again, keep name drafting first, but first does a really good job of creating a well-rounded idea of this is in order to solve a problem. You don't just need the guy building the robot. You oh, need yeah. the guy running the business. You need the guy who's out there yeah. connecting with other businesses. It's, it's not just about, uh, STEM as a concept, but it's about getting excited about the potential for STEM to solve real world problems and then understanding how that happens in the real and world. And what the pieces are, like how to work, like I said, in a company. Our last year, our team captain for the team that we mentor, he started off making buttons and it was a huge, it was a big joke because he basically graduated as a team captain and was like, well, you know, I made some buttons and they were pretty cool. And then <laughs> we should probably explain. So he started off making buttons for the team when he was in grade nine. Yeah. And then by he, the time he, he guy, graduated, the guy he was who operated the, the button press. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so like every, our team for a while had a, a slogan that every piece has its place. And it's like every piece of that puzzle of having a really good first robotics team or a really good team or a really good company is really important and, and there's all sorts of moving parts and that's something that these kids really get a feel for. I guess I, 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 I also want to say that a big thing is you, there is, there are all these other parts that are involved, but it's making sure that students are excited about the goal, which is making the world a better place. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a problem with a lot of like with a lot of kids from, from where I'm sitting that are going, who are sort of fast tracking towards like a business degree. And they're seeing it from the point of view as, okay, I'm going to get a business degree to get a job and make a lot of money. And it's not, but there is something to be said here for doing the first robotics and seeing the business side of it from the point of view of this is business serving the better, like the, the betterment of society as a whole. Yeah. I mean, the two big tenets of first are gracious professionalism, which I weirdly kind of mentioned earlier while I was <laughs> trying to recover from an exploding beer, um, which is essentially that uh it like removes bravado from being part of a sports team and tries to emphasize having empathy and respect for other teams and other people and then cooperation which is somewhat similar but is essentially co- that teams even while they're competitive can also cooperate and i think those two elements also apply to business you can cooperate with other companies even if you're competitive and you can be respectful and professional with other comp- competing companies without having to sacrifice any of your success. Now, do you see that same kind of focus in like science, the science fair competitions? I, I, I feel like science fairs always seem far more competitive. It's much more oh, yeah, absolutely. like it's me on my own coming up with the best presentation. For I mean, science at the same time, time, it's kids and kids are pretty open generally depending on their age group in terms of if you're a bunch of kids at a science fair, you're having a good time because you're surrounded by kids who are also nerdy and into science and making cool things and you get to be away from school and wear fun t-shirts and eat hot dogs and like it's a cool atmosphere mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a fun time but you're right they probably are much more competitive because it's defined as a competition you're it's winning you're winning a one-on-one on one. yeah exactly. that too for sure and there's something to be said about the whole team aspect of first in general and you know most of the first programs is that actually i think all of the first programs um just in general, like, you know, we've created something as a team. And one of the things that initially when I first got into, uh, you know, first got involved with first, there's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, that was very interesting was that, uh, you know, typically even when I was in high school, like there was like a, you know, basketball team, there is a, 
uh, volleyball team, there's a rugby team, but there was no team for kind of the science and engineering kids. And it basically, you know, first kind of fills that role where it has that kind of team nature to it. Um, to kind of build a teamwork skills and all that stuff. And that's all important for, you know, that's, that's real life skills. It also does something for, I mean, you get out there for the, the, at the competitions at first and there's like music blaring and everyone's in jerseys. It, it feels yeah. very, you get to feel like a science rock star. You get to feel like it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool to be yeah, the nerdy sure. kid who built the robot. And it's that's a, very purposefully engineered yeah. that oh, way, yeah. right? No, and, I mean, which is awesome. All the, the, a lot of the teams bring the cheerleaders from their school. And they bring like busloads full of other students, and yeah, it becomes a huge sporting event. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some, uh, that is something that we are missing in that kind of a, an event. In other cases, is is the like the the chance for kids to feel good about themselves as as being part of this. Be like, this is cool. This makes me cool. This is something I can be proud of being part of this competition. Exactly. Look at what, I, look at what yeah. I've accomplished. So here's the thing. Um. You were talking earlier about like, how do you make this work better? Or like, how do you make this program or other programs like this more effective in getting kids interested in STEM programs? Yeah. Um, I was looking this up casually while we were talking last year in uh, the 24th year of the first program, they had 2,904 teams with 73,000 students and 17,500 mentors in 19 countries. And that's just FRC, that's like just, just the high school. First level. robotics. That's not the first program. That's just high school. Yeah. FLL is probably on par, if not. I think they have no, way FLL more is teams. way bigger. I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, FLL had they've got at least twenty thousand teams because we had team yeah. number twenty one thousand something yeah. at our competition on the weekend. And so, to a certain extent, like it's like just the championships, the world championships alone in the states have six hundred teams, and it's at a full sized American football stadium, and they get like Will I Am to perform and. All sorts of celebrities show up and yeah, like it's a I, huge deal. Well, I, I was on the first team in high school. We had the, the world championships were in Atlanta at that point and they were in the Georgia Dome and it was just, they were, it was, it, I, I've never seen that many people in one place being excited about like engineering, being excited yeah. about robots. And so I think my question becomes, is it not already been effective? Oh, I, I think that, I think that first is very effective. And I, so how do you, is there a way to make it better or is there a way to do something differently that will appeal to a larger, broader base? Or maybe is it time to switch gears and move away from robotics and emphasize other parts of engineering, which is the part that I think is really important. I, yeah, I, I think agree. so. I think it would be, I think the world would be a better place if every student had an opportunity to, uh, to be part of first, if they wanted to, I don't think that that's the only thing like it, that alone would not be a solution to the problem of getting getting students excited about engineering, but I think it would definitely be a net good for the world. Yeah. It gets back to basically the difference again between science fairs and first science fairs are open to any student interest. You can do chemistry, you can do biology, you can do kinesiology, you can do neuroscience, you can do engineering. Yeah. And but, so, but, they, but they, by their very nature, don't have the directiveness that you're talking about with first, where it gives you a specific problem and a specific set of tools and then says, come up with a creative way to use these tools. No, but they do genuinely get kids interested in STEM because first gets kids interested in engineering and technology and business and marketing and everything else we talked about, but yeah. it doesn't get kids interested. What in about like the others? Well, the, 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 the s- science and the, the math. Mm. Oh, so, but, uh, so perhaps, but perhaps then it's the, like, okay, the, 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 the FLL project where they say, here is a world problem. Yes, like that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That writ large would be, Absolutely. would be better in my mind would be better than a science fair. You say, get together a team and solve something to do with like 
healthy aging. Yeah. Like I'm worried about kids who are really into zoology or really into like biology or different weird aspects of environmental science. And they're still just as interesting and passionate as kids who are interested in robots, but they don't get no love. Yeah. Like what if you don't have any desire to play with Lego and make a robot? Cause those kids exist. I, okay. I find it hard to imagine being a person who <laughs> is having a hard time. Relating, I'm, I'm, I'm still excited about what? playing with Lego. <laughs> yeah, Lego's I, I, awesome. I cannot, I cannot imagine a world in which I would not. Okay. No, I, I'm, sure, the I'm sure there, we're yeah, in. there are every, there are, there are students of every description. And yes, there will be students who will have interest in a very specific field that will not be serviced by first. So is it possible to make, to sort of package up first and make it applicable to a wide range of different topics? Well, it could be, I, Okay, here, here's something I like. I like the, I was actually just reading up on the, uh, X prizes and like the various things like going to space. They, X, there are X prizes for all kinds of stuff or, um, maybe not even just, not just X prize, but a whole bunch of innovation prizes from di- various different places in different fields. So I'm wondering if something like that model where you you'd get together a bunch of corporate sponsors and you'd be like, okay, like a chemical manufacturer comes in and says, we want to solve a problem to do with chemistry. Here is like a scholarship you could win. Like here, get a team together, come up with a solution and the best solution wins a scholarship for everyone on the team. I think like things like that actually do exist. I just don't think that they operate on the same scale as first does. And maybe there is a program for, I don't know, biology that we just are not aware of. That is kind of this, you know, equivalent and like equivalent to first in that space. But there definitely is these smaller kind of, some kind of chemical company or biological company that has certain prizes, but yeah. it's just that they don't have the... Well, there's a lot to be said for having an organization that connects companies that have money that are willing to spend it on this kind of thing, because it's, yeah. it's publicity for them. No, for sure. And then connecting that to uh, doing the organization to say, okay, now like come to us with ideas. Right. And it's scale, too. Like, I mean, I, I, I'll say straight up that probably a lot of the reason why FIRST has been so hugely successful is that robots are pretty fun and sexy like kids can really get into building robots zoology isn't sexy well no but that's the key that's the question like how do you find that really cool exciting part of other disciplines that at face value maybe just to me but at face value don't seem like they have the same universal appeal like you don't see shows like big bang theory talking about studying marmots okay i have another thing that worked really really well um i don't know uh, were any of the rest of you involved with Shad? Shad Valley? I wasn't no, but smart. I've heard of it. I've okay. heard of Shad I wasn't Valley. smart enough for Shad. Oh. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to be all snooty. I attended Shad Valley. Ooh. <laughs> Look at Simon. <laughs> Playing with Legos right, and so, attending Shad Valley. So for people who are not from Canada, again, Shad Valley is a program in which uh, high school students go and they spend a month on a university campus and they take courses and part of it is building a business and solving a problem. Um, so like the year I was there, we had to come up with a business plan for a company that would build a product that would solve, uh, emergency preparedness, natural disaster preparedness. And, um, that worked really well in terms of coming up with really creative solution. There was a team that built a, they made a teddy bear with like a hood for, with a fire, like a smoke filter in it for a kid. So if, the kid, if, you, if you had your house started burning down, the kid would unzip the teddy bear and pull the hood over their head. Oh, that's, that's, awesome. that's, that's less adorable. That's super... Well, it was, this, it's, it's to prevent smoke inhalation. Like that kind no, of solution. It's great, but I mean, it is, it is like, oh, it's a nice hoodie. Would a child not go like, oh, I want my bear to wear, to be protected from the smoke? No, Mr. Giggles. <laughs> 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 so bad. 
anyway, that solution was one that I thought I remember mostly because it was cool. But like that kind of a model where you have, uh, yeah. you build it into a, into a social structure that already exists. Like, like summer camp, only you make it summer camp and then everybody who's there is excited about yeah. solving a problem. And then you can do it. You can specialize it. You can be like, okay, now yeah. this is, this is the so and so company sponsors a camp in which where you can go and you can solve a problem having to do with zoology. And it's like band camp, but for science. I went to science camp. I went yeah. to band camp because I'm cool. But I, and, and the question is, could, could you then scale that up to the point where you're like, I, the big thing is the scalability. It's you get the scalability. Where, like, yeah. where first is at the level where they've got these huge corporate sponsors, all this money that they get, they get so they can make this a better program every year. Is that because year. of Dean Kamen? No, I think it also, it started somewhere much smaller, right? I mean, we're looking oh, yeah. at first it, where it, it is tiny. today, but when it was in, I think is it, is it the nineties when they started? Yeah, it was 24 years ago. And I, I heard this figure somewhere recently. It's something like, it was only a handful of teams in the very first years, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's making that jump from something that it happens. I mean, it, it would be cool to see something like, uh, like Shad, like where it just, and just yeah. grow it to the point where, cause another thing that first has going for it is it's international. It's a big, it gives you connections with the, like the world across. But I think Abby's right. I think a lot of it has to do with Dean Kamen because it was someone in a position where he had funding and drive and corporate backing to be able to start it and to be mm-hmm. able to support the teams and have it grow and do promotions and reach out to people at different companies and stuff like it. It takes somebody who has a significant amount of influence to be able to start something like that. Yeah, but we're in, an era, we're in an era right now where there is an unprecedented number of, of like engineering, like STEM type people who have tons of money they could spend on pet projects like this. Yeah, the only problem with that is I think most of these people are in a very confined space. Like the billionaires of the world aren't like your next door zoologist who came up with the best zoology treatment for <laughs> zoo-like animals. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I like your riffing on zoo zoology <laughs> treatment for zoo animals. No, no, I, I, I get what you mean. It's and, and it's it's going to take if this is ever going to become a global solution to this kind of problem. It's going to take right. somebody who. Uh, uh, somebody who can take this to a global, connect the money with people who want to do, want to make a change. Definitely. What was that program that we heard about on a podcast in Cal- in the states where they give you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to take a year off school? Oh, the Thiel fellows. Yeah, Peter Thiel was a venture capitalist. And I mean, this is this is what I'm saying. Where there's a lot of money in very specific areas, like in California, a VC, you know, a venture capitalist or an angel investor who has a lot of money that can give you. $150,000 to a certain amount of people to just drop out of school and build the next best thing. Yeah. It's a very kind of specific niche. But area. even that mm-hmm. is hyper comp- competitive. Oh, and, yeah. and we, and we don't want kids to drop out of school. We want no, them, we want, we want them the to opposite. learn. Yeah. It sounds <laughs> like we want them to stay in school, stay in school, kids. <laughs> yes. Don't do drugs either. And zoology. <laughs> don't Go do zoos. <laughs> it sounded like you were like, don't do zoology. That's a slippery slope getting into zoology. Coming through this though, it sounds like we kind of concluded that the best way to get students interested in STEM is like healthy competition. Yeah. Well, and, and well, creating, sports, creating, right? like I think sports, accessibility yeah, for me personally, yeah. like just All exposing right. them to something like that. And I think so we've, we've got, we've yeah. got a, we've got a list. The first is you got, you have to inspire them. You have to give them an opportunity and a challenge yes. to meet. And then you have to let them, you have to give them the resources to then come up with a, with a unique solution. And that's the key. And to do so in an environment where they feel like it's exciting to do so. And it has to be broad enough to appeal to a wide range of interests. Yeah. And I think that's where like things like the, the sort of the X games model where you have a whole bunch of companies that have actual problems they'd like to see a solution to. And then they yeah. come in and give, like, basically put money up for scholarships. 
And in terms of toys, give kids the benefit of the doubt to be able to be creative and make really interesting things without having to follow a procedure. Yeah. Give the, mm-hmm. don't, don't necessarily give them. I mean, little electronic kits are great, but giving them things they can snap together into any number of electronic circuits, that's yeah. way better. By the way, I'm super proud of us that we got through this without somebody mentioning, uh, was it Steam? Oh, let's, let's yeah. not get into that. And also without What's somebody messaging Steam? Goldie it's, Box, it's, which it's, makes me equally It's STEM angry. plus arts. They're oh. saying that it isn't the it stems. Yeah, I, I don't get so me started on everything. That. Yeah, yeah and much. also don't get me started on Goldie Whoa. Blocks. Do you not like Goldie Blocks? No, no. Okay, 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 okay. Not, yeah. not okay we're gonna like, have this conversation okay, tomorrow. No, I'm heading this off. We're gonna have fun facts. Fun facts are gonna stop us from talking about these things. Simon's fun fact of the week. That was beautiful. That was so dulcet. <laughs> okay, so my fun fact. This is uh, something I find really cool. Uh, people refer to fluorescent colors as pretty much anything with like a bright color. You see, you see something that's bright orange, it says fluorescent orange. But realist, in, in reality, fluorescent colors are a very specific type of pigment that has fluorescent chemicals in it. So fluorescence is a chemical reaction, well, a physics reaction, that where UV light is turned into visible light. It's how your, uh, um, compact fluorescent bulbs work. They're full of UV light, and then there's a coating on the inside of the bulb, the white stuff that turns it into visible the light. The white stuff. The white glowy stuff. It's a, is a fluorescent coating. Baby. <laughs> anyway, so fluorescent coating. And so the cool thing about fluorescent colors and things with fluorescent pigments is that when you're out in the sun, they absorb the UV light from the sun and it shines out as visible light. So you, if you're wearing a fluorescent shirt, you're literally brighter than the things around you because you're not just reflecting visible light. You're also reflecting UV light back as visible light. So a fluorescent pigment is actually brighter than it should be based on everything else around it. Wow. My mind's blown. Isn't that cool? That is super cool. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. And that, now we've successfully headed off the arguments about things. Yep. Let's, uh, let's wrap up. Tell All right. people how they can uh, reach us on the internets. Yeah. How do you dot engineer? Is our website. Yep. And you can reach us at feedback at how do you dot engineer. Yep. Uh, we have a Twitter account. And apparently we have Pinterest. So while you are pinning bridal stuff, you can also pin how do you engineer stuff. If yeah. you can yeah. find zoology. Did, did we successfully find the Pinterest account? Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's it called? I followed Does it. it have a name? Oh, uh, I want to say how do you pin? How do you engineer? Yeah. How do you engineer? That's Abby's our new like chief Pinterest thing. officer. Yeah. CPO. Abby I'm on it. And Anyways. We did, and we didn't say what the Twitter was. It's just at how do you eng. Yeah, at how do you eng. Uh, and Facebook, you can reach us on there. How do you engineer on Facebook? And you can rate us on iTunes if you want us to be famous and keep making podcasts. Please do that. This was How Do You Engineer, brought to you by Chicken Nuggets.